Welcome back to the flip side. Galen Clavio here, along with Brian Moritz. We are out of our normal period of podcasting. We decided to do this in the afternoon, and I'm glad we did. This is actually a beautiful day to podcast. Got some meat on the smoker, got some work done this morning. Everything's exciting. Brian, <laughs> I'm glad you were able to join me. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing good. Like you said, beautiful day. We actually have summer weather up here in upstate New York. It's pushing high 80s, which is nice for a change. We've had a very wet and crappy late spring so far, so this is good. Um, so what else? Oh, my kid had a successful dentist appointment this morning. So that good. was awesome. Yeah. So everything is good on that. So excited to be here. Maybe starting a new morning trend. And hello to everyone watching us live on, on, on the YouTube channel. Um, yes. we got it working. And by we, I mean, I got it working this week since, uh, so the ultimate irony, this is funny. So last week, if you listen, we tried to do it live and it was, oh, we did, but Poor Galen, had, but poor, poor Galen had to jump through like 87 different hoops of like a gaming console thing to do instead of doing the, the Google Hangout. Okay. And, uh, and, and so the ultimate irony was I, I usually use Google Chrome as my, as my web browser and I was using it and I couldn't get the Google, Google Hangouts to work right on Google Chrome. That's important to note because right now I am using Safari the Mac version of it, and it's working just fine. So that's always how it goes. Rain, uh, rain on your rain on your wedding day. Anyway, so we wanted to. We're not going to do our normal. What are you drinking right now? Things because it's. I mean, it's eleven forty in the afternoon. Well, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking Trader Joe's coffee, so I am drinking something that's just you know not the usual what we drink. So I'm uh, I'm having some water, uh, some city water uh, in Ooh. my Camelback here. So. Yay for me. I guess I could grab a LaCroix, but uh, right, you know, that'd be well, just like the evenings at that yeah, point. You know. Exactly. You got to stay on brand with that. So um, so we have, a, I know we have one major topic that, that you had thrown out there and suggested, and I think we could easily, easily talk a lot about that. Um, but I, there's one thing we kind of, it kind of spitballed our, our, uh, our recording in the morning was, and this has been on our topic list on our now abandoned Google Doc for at least a season now. I think it came on early season four that you first put it on there, and we actually haven't talked about it, so maybe we can throw it out there today. And the idea came from I was reading my uh, local newspaper online, the Democrat and Chronicle here in Rochester, and they do um, just the one of the, the awful things that newspaper websites tend to do now is not only do they have autoplay video, but they have, I don't know, I'm sure there's a technical term for it. You may not, you may even know it, but it's a, the autoplay video at the top of the story that starts playing. And then as you scroll down to avoid it, the video like shrinks and moves into the lower right corner of the browser. So it follows you around and is still playing. And so our, our, I think our discussion was what's the worst media thing? sin if i'm remembering this correctly autoplay videos like that or the aggressive ad blocking shaming which was your suggestion or topic or whatever so um i mean i am all about i think that um and the the autoplay video is the worst but i'll let you uh i'll let you have have a say here and we can kind of expand this a little bit probably well i mean i think they've both got things that you would argue against them with. I mean, th- that's the biggest issue I run into with the the ad block shaming is that at the end of the day, it's like, you know what? Your company has not demonstrated the trustworthiness to allow me to, or to allow you to run what could potentially be malicious scripts 
on my computer. So I'm not going to just be like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, I'll turn my ad blocker off for your content when I was probably only interested in your content because of a link that I saw somewhere. Like, it's not like mm-hmm. I needed the content. But I, w- I would argue that the, um, the what newspapers do, whether it is the autoplay video stuff or whether it is, you know, accessing a newspaper on your phone and, you know, you get a third of the way into a story and the whole screen is taken up by an ad with an impossibly small X to try to click to get it to go away. Mm-hmm. I would argue that that's worse. And, and I'll okay. say it from this perspective. You know, someone was making a joke on Twitter this weekend along the lines of, you know, people say, oh, newspapers aren't going to survive. Online media is the only thing there. And, and they're like, well, who do you think writes the stories for online? You know, meaning like, oh, newspapers are still here. Well, that old argument, yeah. Newspapers do a crap job of being online entities because uh, most of them, I actually, I'm fine with the Washington Post model or the Wall Street Journal model where it's like, you know what, our content costs money. It's not a huge amount of money. You can pay the money and access our content or you can not and not, but we're not going to make the actual reading process an utter impossibility. Um, and most other news, most newspapers, their websites just go the exact opposite direction. They say, oh yeah, here's the piece, but then bam, here's a huge pop-up window where, hey, here, take this stupid survey that <laughs> you know one of our ad partners is, is putting in. Or, hey, we really want you to watch this video even though you're really here to read the, the piece. So we're going to you know, put that right in the midst of what you're trying to do. And it's just like, you know, the the newspaper industry, this is not newspaper writers. So anybody who wants to get you know, pissy with me on this, shut up. This is the, the, the business side of things. Mm-hmm. It, it, they're running, in my opinion, neck and neck with the airline industry for like most tone deaf customer service and most tone deaf customer experience. This idea that we don't trust the audience. We don't really know what we want from the audience except for money. And we don't care about the environment or the experience that they have. So we're going to make it as bad as possible for no good reason whatsoever because what it does is it drives people away. It do, people don't want to fight through that and people don't want to have something that they're trying to read on their phone uh, that, you know, where if they hit the wrong button, they're now suddenly on a different website looking at an ad they didn't ask to look for in the first place. It's, it's, it's abysmal. And, you know, look, I am, you know, most people who listen to this know I'm a former newspaper guy. This is stuff I study. So I am very, I, I know that how much the newspaper industry, and again, we're talking about the business side of it. It's a struggle. Like they're struggling to figure out a business model that's going to replace the one that's no longer, no longer relevant. And so much of what newspaper websites do online is still very much driven by the kind of the traditional print practices, the traditional print model. That's why you have what's it now called like scoop o'clock, like between five and seven o'clock when like the big New York Times Trump story of the day or the Washington Post Trump story of the day or even the Wall Street Journal. Most of those stories are coming out. The big ones come out at seven because that's when they're being filed and, and put into the print production. And it's a complicated, complicated issue. I get that. Um, what was really funny to me was I got into a Twitter argument oh, a few months ago now with a, uh, I think, uh, a somewhat bigwig at a Gannett newspaper. It might've been the Rochester one. Um, he asked me my opinion on ad blockers and I told him how I use one and I understand why people use them. And I know it's a complicated issue for publishers, but you know, as a user, I understand that. And he, and he came back with this very tone deafy newspaper argument that anybody using an ad blocker is stealing. 
and that it's the, uh, the amount of theft, which we won't even go into the number of ways that that's a false analogy here as yes. But so here's the problem and one of the problems. So I loaded the story of that, that I was trying to read on the Democrat Chronicle. And I'm seeing this a lot on Gannett sites more than any other. Oh yeah. Gannett's, Gannett's probably the worst at it. Right. And so I have the little ad blocker uh, in my, in my extension window on Chrome and it says how many ads that are blocked now on one news story, there are 122 ads blocked on this one page. Now, I don't even know how that's technically possible to have 122 ads and scripts and stuff running on one page. And it's, it, it is, it's just, it's a bad user experience. Like I understand, I, un, I completely understand and get trying to get digital advertising and get digital money and, and the struggle for that. I get that. That's, you know, I'm not arguing whether it's a good business perspective or not. What I'm arguing is that it's a terrible, terrible user experience that yeah. without this ad blocker, it's terrible. And, and, and to your point on the, the mobile ads, what I'm, what's happening with me is that I'm a lot of times I feel like I'm getting a, like the big ad that comes up, which is terrible and the little X that you can't see, but it's also then trying to automatically direct me to the app store to download their app or something like that. And you can't get out of it and get back into it. And it's just, and yeah, you're, and, and the other thing you're right on is that it's much more the tracking stuff that I'm upset about. I don't care if people want to advertise on the web. My site has ads, you know, I don't make any money off of it, but I understand advertising exists, but it's the tracking model of it. It's the, what I, I want, what information of mine are you getting? And then are, are you, is that ad scraping off of my browser and then selling to somebody else that I don't know? And it's just, it is, it's a, terrible and it's and it's too bad because there like you you mentioned the post you mentioned the wall street journal and the times you know i'm not gonna you know this is a really strong age for a lot of digital journalism there's a lot of great stuff in terms of the stories in terms of the content for all the the bitching we can do about the stuff we hate in sports media and in news media we can find a corollary of people doing great work and fantastic work and important work but it's just bogged down in this terrible um in this terrible user experience. And I, I say this in my classes all the time. It really does feel like, you know, well, we're soon going fin- to figure out digital, our digital business strategy. You know, we're going to figure it out. We're, we're, we're almost there. We're close. And I taught my students, they were, we were saying that in 1997 when I was a junior in college and we were just starting the internet and it was the, well, smart people are going to come along and figure out how to make money off of it. And here we are 20 years later. And now we just have a bunch of ad, ad, ad blockers and misery. I mean, look at what YouTube does, where there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people make a lot of money on YouTube with advertising. And yet the process is so simple. It's like you go to a video, you click on the video, and if you've got the YouTube Red subscription, you don't see the ad. If you do, it pops up. Sometimes you have to watch the whole thing. Sometimes you can skip after five or 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. And it's really not that big of a deal. And you don't feel like you've been violated. You don't feel like they're trying to sneak it past you. They're very straightforward with it. And they're just like, here's the ad. Here's what you need to do. Yeah, they need to watch it or you need to, to skip it. Mm-hmm. You don't get that option with newspapers. You, you, you know, with most of the newspaper websites, it, they, you know, they basically try to take over your browser. And I just, it just baffles me how somebody, you know, large companies haven't looked at that and said, we're not doing this the right way. Because look look around at the rest of the web. Look at, when you go to ESPN.com, do you have bad experiences with, with ads there? 
Do you with feel ads? Like- no, with autoplay video, yes. But I believe it's easy to turn off. But, yeah. but with you know, ads, I mean, no, yeah. You know, when you go to, you know, most of the other destinations on the web, you're, you know, you go to a company's website. They're, they're not inundating you, generally speaking, with stuff that you don't want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's like, that's just such a simple concept for me that, you know, the idea that nobody realizes that that's having a negative impact. And, you know, the, their argument, I guess, is, well, if we don't do that, we can't recoup any money. Well, that's the same mentality that led you to this position in the first place. This right. idea that, oh, well, you know, we, we, we have to recoup X, Y, and Z. Well, that's, you know, there's organic ways to find revenue within the model. Like what you're really missing is something you're never going to get back, which is money from classified advertisements. Well, don't, right. try, to, don't try to recoup that by you know making the the user's existence miserable while they're trying to access the content that you are claiming is worth them spending money on getting in the first place like that just doesn't make any sense right now what's you, again you you may know more about the scenario what's the rationale like there for an autoplay video cuz that's my pain in the butt i just i i hate video now is it just so that it automatically plays so they get a play for the advertiser cuz there's got to be a reason like they don't well, just introduce it for no reason other than hey this auto plays. So I what's- think the the rationale from my understanding is twofold. One is is yes. I mean the idea that you're getting plays, and even if it's just a second's worth of play, that you can put that into some kind of category and be like, well look, we had eighty thousand plays on this video, and in fact mm-hmm. it was actually only watched like you know a quarter of those times, if that. But I also think that um, again. Uh, with with newspapers and i think with espn it's a different sort of argument with espn i think what they espn goes off the idea that you would rather watch video that was already there on this topic that you're trying to read on and they also want to tie you in with their existing program it's this synergistic thing that they try to do sure uh, the problem with newspapers is, you know, newspapers have tried to invest in video. They've tried to go out and do, you know, video reporting to go along with their stories, but they don't know how to market that. Like mm-hmm. they don't, they don't know how to create a separate channel in many cases and be like, Hey, here's where you go for the video versions of this. They're just like, well, you know, we did this report, so we need to make sure that people see it. So we're going to pair it with the article that people are writing uh, or have written. And, and I, I guess the idea there is, well, then people will see it. We can be assured what? that people are going to see it. And I just think that's a terrible process because you're basically, now you're, you're not only you're using the video as an afterthought, but you're also creating a situation where you're giving people something that they're not asking for. And at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're not doing, you're, you're, you're making your video seem unnecessary and, you know, to some degree unwelcome. Yeah. And, and, you know, I remember learning how to do video again, 10, 11 years ago at a newspaper. And and yeah, the idea that it's always this kind of supplemental thing that goes along with it, which isn't, I don't necessarily think negative, you know, you're a newspaper, you have a, we, you have a very kind of certain skill set to it and a certain thing you bring to your community or certain skills of journalism, of reporting, of structuring stories and stuff that, you know, that that you should build on but yeah it's just the 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 whole the whole 
the whole video thing is just it it seems like a lot of times now the people newspapers do it because they it, it kind of became this this weird organizational circle thing where like you started doing it because you felt like you had to and now you do it because you have to do it and there's no i don't i don't know i'm not a video guy online specifically so i would much rather always read something than and then watch video. I know I'm very much in the minority, I think on that, or um, very much in the kind of a vocal minority, but um, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's a bad experience. I I mean, I love video and I like watching video, but there's times I just want to read an article. I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily want to watch. Maybe I'm in a spot where I'm not getting good reception or, you know, maybe I'm I'm in a, a position where I can't hear the video, but I just want to read about it, you know, and I can go back and watch it later. Um, so it, I don't know. It just, again, it's like what's convenient for the company should not be the primary thought process. It's what's convenient for the consumer and how are they consuming the product? And, you know, and that's where I guess going back in the autoplay video versus, um, pop-up ad thing, I would say the pop-up ads are worse because, you know, that's when you make it impossible on a mobile device to access the material. I mean, the autoplay video stuff can be bad, but generally speaking, those get filtered out in that environment to some degree. Mm-hmm. That's true. Whereas the pop-up ads are still there. So That's that's true. So, all right, now that we've fixed the newspaper industry, let's move to the important things. Did you get any uh, response on the call? Because I didn't um, call for topics. I didn't see any on mine. Did you we get had any? A, we had a, yeah, we had a couple. Uh, all right. So we, we can get these relatively quick. Our, yeah, we, our, our uh, longtime um, listener, uh, Doctor Hoosier. All right. Um, is the pre- well? Okay. So there's a soccer question, which you're not really uh, interested in answering, but I'll. Well, I'll I'm interested it. in answering, but I won't do a good job of it. I- I'll address it real quick. So uh, the question. Well, to, to do the setup first. The U.S. played Mexico last night in a World Cup qualifier. Did you watch okay. the? Did you watch the game? I did not. I was watching the Tony Awards last night. You, wow, you didn't watch hockey either. No, um, it's Tony night. So, geez. well, anyway, I know. The, the U.S. Um, has has struggled historically when they've played at Mexico's uh, Stadio Azteca, okay. and so surprisingly, they came out and uh, they scored in, in the eighth minute and held the lead for like fifteen minutes, which I think they'd only led like forty, thirty, or forty minutes ever at this stadium. Okay. And then Mexico scored uh, to level it up. And then it basically was kind of a slog fest the rest of the way. Mexico had some chances. U.S. had a couple. It ended up as a 1-1 draw, which was a very good result for the U.S. playing in Mexico. Uh, it was a very um, pragmatic approach by Bruce Arena. They got the lead. They kind of bu- you know buckled down at that point. They played, in effect, what were five defenders, which is a lot in soccer. So uh, Dr. Hoosier asks, is the pragmatism Bruce Arena exhibited last night at Azteca something we really should be celebrating at this point in USMNT history? Um, hmm. This goes to the – this may be the only – not the only sport, but on the national level, it's the only sport where we really think about this, uh, where it's not just about are you winning games, it's can you win beautifully? Can you win with with uh, with talent playing at, at a high level. And, it kind of gets to our discussion last week about the NHL and what's good. Is this good for the NHL? Is this bad for the NHL type deal? Yeah, so. To some degree. You know, it's more pronounced, I think, with soccer because mm-hmm. a lot of observers of soccer in the United States are obsessed with the U.S. becoming 
another European style or, you know, really good South American style team, One, a, a team that plays with flair, a team that plays with a lot of speed, a team that's, that's you know, bold and, and can no. attack. No, sorry to cut you off, but since you're the soccer guy. No, do you think that's because they want not just success, but they want like, 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 like highlight real success, like to capture America to like be, you know, not like a, not like a New Jersey, you know, to bring a hockey analogy, not like to win like the New Jersey Devils of the 90s where you score a goal and dump a chase, but you kind of like more artistic to kind of capture a bigger audience. You think that's it? Yeah. I mean, I think that is it to a large degree. I think that the, you have to think about like where the U.S. came from. So the U.S. has been a scrappy team for a while. You know, I mean, you know, going back to the mid '90s, you know, they they made it to the knockout round in the World Cup. That was not a very good team talent wise, but it was a good team in that they played, you know, with with uh, control and they you know they would nick a goal here and there and then play good defense and and be able to you know, advance further than maybe you think. What I think U.S. fans have been waiting for is a team that no longer feels like, you know, it it gets a lucky goal and then has to basically be back on its heels while the superior opposition just starts rifling shot after shot at them, which has happened most of the time when the U.S. has played a, you know, a higher level team. I mean, it happened against Germany in the World Cup in 2014. It certainly happened against Belgium in that World Cup. Uh, it happened against Ghana in 2010. Um, and, you know, one of the things about the Jurgen Klinsmann era was that Klinsmann was going to supposedly come in and bring this, like, attacking, uh, proactive soccer. And, you know, as it turned out, his teams played pretty much played like everybody else's teams have played for the U.S., where they've had to be very pragmatic because they just don't have the player-by-player talent level that other teams have. And Mexico's a very talented team. Mexico's got a lot of very skilled players um, so to answer Dr. Hoosier's question, is it something we should be celebrating? I mean, look, anytime you can get a point in the Azteca, you have to celebrate it. I mean, it's, I don't care how you get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that they came out and, you know, they, they showed a couple of, of moments of, of inspiration and, you know, and uh, guys like Pulisic and, and, uh, you know, a couple of other players that they had were, were playing really well offensively. You know, that, that is something I think we can celebrate. I just don't think the players are there yet. And, you know, we can be angry about the fact that here it is in 2017, you know, a, a decade and a half after we started asking ourselves the question of when are the players going to get here, um, you know, we're still asking that question. But at the end of the day, that's, you know, you're not going to get, um, you know, some kind of like higher level soccer being played for the U.S. men's national team now. You're going to have to wait till the next coach comes in. Right now, it's like a survival cycle. Like they still have to figure out a way to qualify out of the hex after losing some early games, get to the World Cup, try to do well in the World Cup. And then, you know, hopefully this, this next generation of talent's able to do something. But it's, it's a ways away still. Well, and, and again, as a soccer newbie, but I, I would say one thing, like you celebrate a result at, at the end of the day, however you're getting, getting a point in Mexico is a big deal for you, for the U.S. So you celebrate that. I don't know. And again, you're way more knowledgeable than I am, but I hear this, you know, you, you know, 17 years later, you're still asking about where the players are. Well, maybe they're not here. And maybe like that, this is what American soccer looks like. As you know, Brazil has its style, England has its style, Spain has their, their their kind of national styles, Germany has its national style. You know, maybe this is the you know 
again, I know nothing, but maybe this is the American style. And maybe this is, you know, there's something to be said for embracing who you are rather than always looking so aspirationally at why aren't we Brazil? Why aren't we Spain? Well, we're not, but we can be the best version of what we are as a national team rather than, you know, Rather than keep keeping, it, it seems to me like in some level, the, the goalposts just keep getting moved and moved and moved on U.S. soccer, where it's not just you get a result, but oh, it was too pragmatic. It wasn't pretty enough. Like, Well, look, I, I, I get what you're saying, and there's something to be said for that. I think the biggest issue is that the promised change in the way that the U.S. was going to be playing soccer and the development, the skill development of younger players hasn't materialized. And I think a lot of people are antsy as a result of that. Now, gotcha. Uh, that I think will ultimately be the lasting legacy of of Klinsman's time here in the U.S. was that the, the the systems that he put into place at the youth level I think will eventually start to to yield results. And I mean, you know, you ask a guy I've I've heard like Tab Ramos, who's the the I think the under nineteen or under twenty one coach, um, a talk. Uh, there's another guy whose name escapes me, who's the under nineteen coach for the U.S. They talk about how the skill level of the younger players coming up is like leaps and bounds okay. past what it was a decade ago. Uh, I just think that people became attuned to this problem a while ago, and and for a lot of them, they feel like you know the generation of players that's there right now, you know, this should have been the generation that elevated things, and it looks like it's just going to take an extra decade to get where they want to go. Gotcha. So, okay. Uh, he also had a Desert Island Discs question. We'll we'll tackle that another time. Um, okay. Those are the only questions I had because the, the last thing we need to get to is a very important topic that has been taking the internet by storm here lately, and I'm, I'm fascinated to get your thoughts on things. Absolutely. So and, and so this is the – I'm making sure we're looking at the same French fry chart. This is the <laughs> Food, Food Republic All the Styles of French Fries ranked chart, right? Yes, that's correct. Now, what's crazy about this is apparently this came out in 2016, March of 2016, so it's more than a year old. I don't know who found it or commented. I, I saw it passing around Twitter because I knew which one you were talking about, but I don't know who kind of picked it up and started it yesterday but um but there is a lot to break down here there are a lot of problems with this ranking system and there are a lot lot of questions i have go ahead let me uh let me start off maybe by i might be able to do this let's see um i'm gonna i'm gonna share with the audience um the video audience watching live if you're listening to this on a podcast google uh food republic french fry chart um, and, and you can follow along with us. I want to see if this actually works. Um, I don't know if it is going to work or not. It doesn't look like it's working. Um, no, not going to work. Okay. Um, yeah, it's. I was hoping to actually put the chart up there, but it didn't actually work. So never mind. Um, okay. Oh. Um, anyway, so if you have to break breaking the chart down, here's basically what you get. Uh, this ranking, and I don't know what their criteria were or anything like that. But apparently, their criteria was asking the people at, within Food Republic headquarters as well as the restaurant community. So, so that's kind of like the it's kind of like what the Ringer did uh, with ranking right. fast food items, which is another thing we probably should get to. Uh, that yeah, happened oh, absolutely, we were gone. But but anyway, their rankings from from the bottom to the top, from worst to best. Uh, they yeah. have twelve different styles of fries. I think we could argue there's many more, but the twelve different styles of fries. Okay. Uh, sweet potato fries were no. last. No, there's 18. You're, you you got to scroll oh. to the scroll to the bottom. Oh God. Oh, you're right. Smiley fries were were 18th, which I'd never even heard of those before. Potato tornado was 17th. 
Han Souffle was 16th. Cottage Fries was 15th. Chili Cheese Fries, 14th. Potato Wedges, 13th. Sweet Potato Fries, 12th. British Chips, 11th. Steak Fries, 10th. Cheese Fries, 9th. Crinkle Cut Fries, 8th. Shoestring Fries, 7th. Curly Fries, 6th. Garlic Fries, 5th. Standard Cut Fries, 4th. Tater Tots, 3rd. Belgian Fries, 2nd. Belgian Fries. Uh, and Waffle Fries, 1st. So... There's a lot to unpack here. There is. Um, so why don't you go ahead and start? All right. So I, I can start any number of places because I, of course, did my own rankings in the time since you suggested this as a topic. But first of all, let, 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 me, let me handle some, some objections I have here before I give my rankings. Okay. First of all, the potato tornado is not a thing. I don't know what that is, but that's not a thing. So we can. I've never heard it. of it before. I've never heard of it. Smiley fries I have heard because I have a kid who's six, but they are like they're like they're not they're they're like according to the packaging they're like mashed potatoes inside like this like tater tot-esque smiley face thing they're not terrible but i would not consider i would not rank them as a french fry thing at all i wouldn't Um, consider tater tots fries either but right so i so okay so we'll get to that because that's going to be a point of discussion i think um and i wouldn't i actually the, the bottom three or four i wouldn't rank like palm souffle i've never heard of they don't really look like french fries so right. um and then cottage fries again never heard of they look just like see now um cottage fries uh, they they do appear and part of my big issue with this list is you can't separate the fries from the place that makes them absolutely um, true right so so cottage fries if you if you ever go to Buffalo Wild Wings and get their buffalo chips, okay, that's, those are cottage fries. They're they're, okay. they're disc cut fry potatoes, uh, and they're not terrible. There, they're actually fairly decent. They would certainly rank higher than fifteenth. Okay, uh, if you were taking those. But anyway, I digress. Go ahead. No, so so those those are my biggest issues. The other big issue I would have on this list is having garlic fries cheese fries and chili cheese fries listed i mean for one thing if you're going to list all these three those three things especially the chili cheese fries you have to have poutine ranked because poutine and chili cheese fries are basically the same food group right they are french fry based with a kind of meat sauce and some sort of cheese topping on there so very so similar style so if you're not if you're going to rank if you're going to have try to tell me that poutine is unranked, then you, you, your list is bad and you should feel bad. But I, it, it just strikes me as like garlic fries. I don't, I, I'm sure I've had them, but I don't think of them as their own kind of special entity deserving their own listing on here. And I don't know, like putting fries with toppings on there. At, at that point, you're it, it's a different thing you're ranking. You're ranking the combination, right. or like the entire meal rather than just the fry itself. So I think you have to eliminate all of those. I totally agree. And I think, I mean, I love garlic fries. They're great. But all garlic fries are is standard or shoestring cut fries with cheese and garlic and red pepper on them. I mean, right. so, so at the end of the day, yeah, what you said is is correct. I mean, you, you have to separate. We can have a whole conversation about fry toppings. I'm 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 down with having absolutely, that, but you, absolutely. But like, you can't you can't have that be its own category. No, absolutely. And so, okay, let me do. Let's see, I'll do my top five because I don't want to spend all the time here. So, anyway, my top five from five up. Um, number five, I rank the British chips, which I have had not in England, but I've had them at like you know British owned. Uh, 
eateries in the U.S. And I do like them. There's a, I like the size, the good crunch, the vinegar on them is really, really solid. So I'm a big fan of that. Number four, uh, the shoestring fry or like the, the palm frite, very underrated. I, I saw this one getting some heat from uh, some of the Twitter people on Twitter, but very good with the steak frites or because and, and the great thing about them is they're always crispy, important part of, of any fry. And you usually get a ton of them because they're so small. So you get a really good value on it. Number three, I'm a fan of the standard cut French fry, just your regular old average French fry. I actually had that very, I, I almost had that number one, but didn't want to be boring. So I like that. Number two is the controversial pick in our, in our ranking here. I'm going tater tots at number two with the full understanding that if you do not consider them French fries, I would take them out. I'm not, this is not a hot dog as a sandwich thing. So if you take them out as their own entity, that's fine. And they rank above and they rank high. And number one, Belgian. Belgian fries are outstanding. Very, very, very good. I like I like a good lean fry. I like a good crisp, very crisp coating on it. And and they do it, do it really well. I will also say um, the under the overranked one or the one that I think is overrated are steak fries. Because they're long, they're flat, usually they're kind of like very potatoy, almost doughy in the middle, and not a fan. So hmm. well, I Okay, that's interesting. I, I didn't prepare a separate rating, but I, I will take a shot at some of these. Um, I'll say this: I, I going off the steak fries thing. I think steak fries are great with steak because if you don't want a baked potato, which is a lot of potato, right? But you still want like the you want potato, but not the full on. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot of potato. Right. Uh, I think in in that circumstance, they work very very well. Um, <laughs> I guess my, my biggest issue with all of these is the type of fry is immaterial without considering how it's been cooked and by whom. Exactly. So, like, you know, so I know a lot of the controversy about waffle fries being number one was, you know, what did people immediately think of when they thought of waffle fries? So they Chick fil A. Right. Yet, it, you know, and I'm not a waffle fry fan. I'm really not. I, I think waffle fries, they get cooked. They're always almost always cooked wrong. If they stick together in the fryer, then they don't get cooked all the way through. They, they, they can have that steak fry problem where they get very right. potatoy. Yeah, um, but I would not rate Chick Fil A's waffle fries as that good. They have no flavor. I mean, they no. they 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 really have no flavor whatsoever. They don't dip well in any of their sauces. They don't really dip well in ketchup. Um, you know, I mean, Arby's waffle fries, and again, I'm not a waffle fry fan, but Arby's waffle fries are better than Chick-fil-A's waffle fries. Right. The, um, yeah, the, I, I, I'm a huge Chick-fil-A guy, and I like their waffle fries good enough, but that's not the lure of, like, that's right. not the, oh my God, I'm getting their waffle fries. No, they come with them and you eat them because you're a gentleman, but you don't, yeah, the, I don't seek them out. Um, you know, it's then, not, you know, go ahead. Sorry. And you take like, okay, let's, so let's take, um, the, would you classify McDonald's fries as shoestring or standard cut? That's a great, great question. I think I would go standard cut because when I'm when I think of shoestring or mastering, they're like the very, very, very slivery, like barely any potato in them. Like it's almost all the fry right. coating with a little bit. So I would consider them standard cut. So take McDonald's standard cut fries and compare them to, say, Burger King standard cut fries. Same standard cut. Right. Yet one does it, I think, significantly better than the other one. No uh, question. You know, and it's like, so the the whole idea behind the list, I mean, there's just so many functional issues with this list and the way that it's put together, um, you know, that 
ultimately what we're, I don't even know what we're debating. It, you know, right. and, I, and I got into a debate about it on, on social media. A lot of other people have, and then I've, I've gone back and thought about it. I was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, this is, this is, I think there's a debate to be had here, but there's like three different debates. There's like, right. what is at its core, the best type cut of French fry. Right. Then the second is where is the, where, where are each of the types of French fries best made? Or, you know, do we have a rank listing of like, these are the best French fries period. Uh, you know, and then the third is what are the best toppings to put right. on the French fries? Um, right. And I would argue to some degree, even that, like, I think the best French fries the the very best French fries are the ones that don't need any toppings. Like I would argue that you can buy McDonald's French fries with just salt on them and they're perfectly satisfying. Like you don't really need anything else. And there and not a lot of other fries that do that. Like, like if you just bought Chick-fil-A waffle fries and they're, and, and they didn't have anything on them. I mean, that's kind of a dull eating experience in my yeah. opinion. No, or, I agree. Or like Culver's. Do you have Culver's? No, we don't. Talk about this. Okay, so Culver's does crinkle cut fries, and it's okay. like a crinkle cut fry with just that. It's like it's it, you. You need ketchup, or you need something else to go along with it, or you know, some kind of some kind of ketchup mayonnaise mix, or or whatever. Um, so you you have to think about it along those lines as well, and I, and I feel like that that's actually the one argument I'd have in you know. It's why I almost think tater tots don't belong on this list at all because tater tots are almost always good by themselves. You almost you right. almost never need anything to go along with them. No, that's a good point. And you're right. The uh the the place the 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 place that makes them is huge. And it, it's such a weird distinction between the standard the and, and like the British cut cuz like if it's not, you know, it, it, it's it, 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 I feel like it can be a weird distinction. Like the my for my for me, my favorite french fries in the world are Thrashers, which is a boardwalk place in Ocean City, Maryland and Rehoboth Beach along along the shore. And I, th- I think they might be British chips, uh, technically, because there's a, it's a big thing to get them with vinegar. But you're right; you don't need anything on top of them. You just get a big cup of them, and you walk, sit on, sit on the beach, and you eat them, and they're great. But yeah, you can't separate place that makes them from, uh, da da da, from from the fry. Like right. you can't. You know, you can't talk about curly fries. Well, are we talking Arby's curly fries? Are we talking? You know the seasonal place, seasonal beach type place. Um, again, I curly fry kind of has the same waffle fry problem too. I like them, but yeah, if you get them clumpy or something, they can be they they, they can be um, just not not as satisfying. And curly you, fries almost always require batter of some sort. Yes, like, I mean you can have curly fries that don't have batter. Like I think Arby's actually for a while made some curly fries that this is a play. There's a place. It has curly fries without batter. It's a local place, actually. Now that I think about it, it's not a, it's not a fast food place. They're just not that good. No, um, you know. So it's like again, like curly fries have the opposite problem from waffle fries. In in as much as like curly fries are almost never crispy. There, there's right. always there's always a kind of a, a mush, yeah, to them that creates an issue unless you batter them. And if you batter them, that's fine. But again, that's a different sort of metric than what this list was purporting to try to figure out. Right. Do you have so you mentioned the toppings? What would you rank as your top uh, French fry toppings? Well, ah, that's a good one. I mean, I I, I mentioned garlic fries earlier. I really yeah. love it, like a melted, um, like mozzarella provolone blend with garlic, um, like you know, not, like a really heavy melt, like not like just dumping 
cheese sauce on it. That, that's right. that's not a favorite of mine at all. But if you like, um, but that's you know the garlic fries like that, I would highly recommend if you can get them from a good place. Um, you know, and I, and I think, you know, if you've got, um. I mean, chili's okay, but chili gets in like chili's a rough one because chili will get the fries soggy, and if they're right. already not crispy, that's a real problem. Right. And if they are crispy, they don't go well with chili generally. Right. Yeah, that's why. I mean, that's the strong part on poutine is the uh, you. I mean, the key to any good poutine is a good crispy French fry because other than that, you're going to get once the gravy is on there, then you're going to get too soggy. And why I like poutine better than the chili fries is you know. Poutine is just gravy, so it's the flavor, but you don't have the the, the sauce plus the meat, which is way, way, way too much. Um, right. So, I mean, I'm a poutine guy, but also, you know, just straight, like the British style, the straight malted vinegar on fries is really, I'm not a vinegar guy normally, but I don't know if it's the cut of fry or the way it's cooked or just the combination, but it's really a good couple times a year. I'm not an all-around guy, but it's a summertime beach vacation type type. Uh, taste that that really does work well and you know you, of course salt if you're not putting salt well, on your french fries you're just not living so i agree and I, I, there's one other one that i'll i'll toss in it actually kind of goes along with the vinegar one that you just mentioned but that's barbecue sauce um but Ooh. it has to be like it, it can't be like the thick tomatoey barbecue sauce it has to be more on the vinegar side like of a, almost like carolina type interesting um not i mean it's still red i mean it's still okay. going to have like it's still going to have a tomato and molasses base but you want it to be a little more a little more um little more liquidy as opposed to being like something that's really coating the fry right i've i've always enjoyed those i find i, I find that um you know, you get a little barbecue sauce with your French fry. I prefer I prefer ketchup. I mean, I know that that's kind of cliche, but uh, but I, but barbecue sauce is a nice change up, particularly if you get like a barbecue cheeseburger uh, right. or barbecue bacon burger. Some fries with the sauce that they have normally that's oh, a good mix. It always does go well, absolutely. So, well, speaking of, you probably have to check on your brisket pretty soon. So. Yeah, yeah, I need to. That's uh, it's I'm. I'm Taking it on faith that it was just autopiloting on the smoker out there. So <laughs> we'll see. Anyway, uh, good stuff as always. Any final thoughts? No, I think you know. Now I'm. It's, it's good that it's lunchtime because now I'm hungry after a half hour talking French fry stuff. Well, it's an important topic. I mean, this was you know a very flawed list that I think needed correction. I think we really we really bring that that ability to correct your French fry list. So. We did have one uh, comment on the chat. Pat Walsh okay. joining us. Hi, Pat. Good Hi. to see you. Um, is it bad? I feel somewhat satisfied with Nashville's controversial loss as payback for the Music City Miracle. No, no, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think you'd be brooking any any controversy by bringing that up here. No, I yeah. uh, no, I I, I I I don't feel bad for him. Um, I mean, generally, you know, it was a you know, in, in semi seriousness, it was a bad call, but it, it was a first period or second period. I was kind of half following it was first along. Period. So it first was period, so first period, only goal that that was scored or even came close to being scored until right. the last two minutes of the game. Right. But so, so it's a bad call. I, I do feel, I, 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 no, I don't feel bad for him. No, you, no. I mean, no, I, they're, they're, I, I don't feel bad for them, but then I, I have no dog in this fight. You guys absolutely do. Um, I mean, well, I, will, I will point out that neither Tennessee nor Buffalo was going to, likely win the Super Bowl there. I know Tennessee came close, but they didn't well, win the Super Bowl. But so, Buffalo was not going, I don't think, to win the Super Bowl that year. Uh, well, so it, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's as 
Like it's so, so I'm gonna say, it I'm, seems disproportionate to get to the Stanley Cup Finals and then lose on a controversial call like that. I get. Well, I, I'm, I'm okay, totally so down this, with it. I'm totally right. down with it as revenge. But All yeah. right. So, so 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 two notes on that. One, I'll send you a piece, and I don't know how much I believe this, but my good friend Tyler Dunn, who's now Bleacher Report, I think this is when he was at the Buffalo News, did a uh, an oral history of the Music City Miracle, and like there are people, guys on that Bills team who legitimately thought that they could make that they they had it set up that they had a good enough team to make a run. Now I don't believe them because their quarterback was Rob Johnson or Doug Flutie, but I, I but you know had but, had but, the Colts the next week we would have easily beaten you. So, oh. <laughs> but also I see what I see where this is coming from, but also. Um, no, it's not the. I mean, it's it, the, the difference is that 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 the Music City Miracle was the last play of the game. It was the game changer. This was a no goal in the first period. There were still forty seven minutes or whatever of hockey left after that. So yes, bad call. Yes, they got screwed. Score another goal. Put some pressure on them. Make a save in in the third period. You win at home. You know, I I I, I, I always do have limited sympathy for for bad calls that aren't like at the last play or in the last second, because yes, cascading things, you know, can happen. But at the same time, you had 40 minutes, at least 40 minutes after that, to score a goal. So anyway, okay, that's fair. I, I will defer to you on that. And, <laughs> and Pat, I'll say, you know what? It's, it's good satisfaction. It's good that I think every, to become, there's been a lot of debate about, you know, is Nashville a hockey town? Is Nashville a sports city? I think that, you know, particularly on the hockey front, you can't be a hockey town and, until you've really experienced some degree of disappointment. And and until, you know, until Bar- Gary Bettman has screwed you over, you're not a real hockey town. So welcome right. to the full Nashville. There you go. So anyway, good to, good to talk with you, Brian. And thanks to all of you for joining us in the middle of the day. We'll be back maybe maybe again during the afternoon uh, yeah. sometime next week. We'll we'll check in with you, let you know what's going on, but. Uh, you can catch up with us at Dr. GC or at BP Moritz or at Flipside Pod on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. If you got questions or, or things you'd like us to hear or to talk about, just, you know what, hook us up with that stuff uh, anytime during the week. Don't make us wait till the last second to ask like we normally do. So anyway, uh, for Brian, I'm Galen. We'll catch you folks on the flip side. So long, everybody. Bye.